Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Here it is in all of its here it isness, ladies and gentlemen. And um, what's what's the is first or the it, I guess, in that uh, sentence is news of our friends, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Police there have arrested several men who appeared in a gay wedding scene, according to uh, the Independent newspaper in London. A video circulated widely online shows two men walking side by side as they're showered in confetti. A long bridal train appears to trail along the ground behind one of the men. Mecca police, that would be in Mecca, say they had identified the cross-dresser and other people involved in the incident. Others arrested. A number of people at the event, their cases had been referred to prosecutors. They didn't name the men or provide details of the charges against them. Police said the event had happened at a festival at a resort in the holy city of Mecca and had left people there, quote, surprised, unquote. Saudi Arabia doesn't have written laws concerning same-sex relationships. Saudi judges use principles of Sharia law to sanction people they suspect of having sex with someone of the same gender. That's according to Human Rights Watch. Judges and prosecutors use provisions of the country's anti-cybercrime law that criminalizes online activity impinging on public order, religious values, public morals, and privacy. There have been reports the country's prosecution office, this is Saudi Arabia's prosecution office, is planning to request the death penalty for anyone, quote, using social media to solicit homosexual acts, unquote. So buy ads on Saudi TV, won't you? And also, relating to our freedom-loving friends, this, which you may not have heard or read, given the state of the media, a United Nations report on human rights abuses related to foreign intervention in Yemen details the extensive civilian casualties inflicted by the Saudi-led coalition's air attacks. We're part of that coalition. This is from Al Jazeera English. The United Nations panel examined 10 air attacks last year that killed more than 150 people and found that the targets included a migrant boat, a night market. You don't want people shopping at night. They might get bombed. Five residential buildings, a motel, a vehicle, and government forces. A copy of the report was shown to Al Jazeera. This is a report through the UN Security Council that has not been made public but the Al Jazeera diplomatic editor James Bays was allowed to read a copy. The panel said it requested information from the Saudi-led coalition, of which we're a part, for the rationale behind such attacks. Didn't receive a response. Eh. The attacks were carried out by precision-guided munitions. So it's likely these were the intended targets, according to the report. Or not so precise. Even if in some cases the Saudi-led coalition had targeted legitimate military objectives, says the UN report, the panel finds it highly unlikely that the international humanitarian law principles of proportionality and precautions in attack were met. Well, what do you want them to yell out at the plane? Hey! Precision thing coming! The report also cited a widespread and systematic pattern of arbitrary arrests, deprivation of liberty, and enforced disappearances. It was particularly scathing about UAE camps. That's the United Arab Emirates camps. They're an ally of ours as well, where it says, according to the UN report, torture has been taking place. 
The report talks about beatings, electrocutions, constrained suspension. Dick Cheney would be proud of that one. And it talks about something called the cage, which is confinement in a cage, in the sunlight, and the the denial of medical treatment. Working with the government of Yemen gives the UAE, which runs those camps where the torture occurs, plausible deniability. Well, that's all you really want. When innocence is hard to get, I'll take plausible deniability every time. The report also said southern secession in Yemen has become a genuine possibility due in part to the length of the war, the lack of military progress, and divisions that have emerged in the country. The report therefore wonders if Yemen can remain one country, or if it ever was. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia, spreading freedom wherever they bomb. Hello, welcome to the show.
From the edge of America, from the home of the homeless, for whom it times are tough, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it gets tougher as I read the trades for you. First of all, from Ad Week, switching to healthy ingredients is riskier for brands than you might think. Is this me reading it for you? You betcha. Eliminating artificial dyes from our donuts is an incredible milestone, says the head of Duncan. Says they'll now furnish customers with simpler ingredients while still delivering the delicious taste and vivid colors expected with our donuts. You've watched one major brand after another trying to offload artificial additives, preservatives, flavors, colors, and anything else that can't pass for natural. Duncan, only the latest to do it. The reward... For the food brands, which have little choice, says Adweek, usually includes high conversion costs and complex sourcing problems. And when the reformulated products finally come out, they risk alienating some of the very same customers the companies are trying so hard to please. Consumers, says food and drink analyst Jenny Zegler, have little concept of how tough these changes can be and tend to take the results for granted. It's really hard from a consumer perspective to understand you can't just flip the switch for healthier products. For his brand as large as Duncan, she says especially, it's really difficult to find the ingredients that are substitute for these artificial colors that look the same and taste the same and cost the same. Unquote. In 2015, a slew of brands, Campbell Soup, Nestle, General Mills, Kraft, and Chipotle announced pledges to clean up their ingredient lists. A 2014 survey by Consumer Reports found that 59% of shoppers now check to see if the products they're buying are natural. Last year, food and restaurant consultancy Technomic issued a trend report that found that 59% of consumers believe that clean ingredients align with greater healthfulness. So consumers do want that, says the firm's menu analyst, Patricia Cube. Sorry, Cobe. They also asked people what they associated with clean eating, and the number one answer was no artificial ingredients, unquote. All well and good, says Adweek, but the companies making these changes face a slew of challenges that make it difficult and expensive. First off, swapping out artificial ingredients for natural ones could be a frightfully expensive undertaking. Two years ago, three years ago, Papa John's admitted it was spending $100 million just to get rid of additives and artificial ingredients from its menu. These natural ingredients are more costly, says menu analyst Zegler. And then also, they're hard to find. Kolb agrees when restaurant chains Chick-fil-A and McDonald's announced 
they would begin eliminating antibiotics from the chickens they use. The immediate problem was, as Kobe Kobe puts it, quote, there weren't enough chickens, unquote. Sometimes the switch doesn't simply work out. When General Mills decided to eliminate artificial ingredients from its cereals, three years ago, the company stated that each cereal requires different changes. Quite the understatement, considering that its cereal portfolio was a cornucopia of blindingly colorful marshmallows and crunchies that appeared nowhere else in the natural universe. While the goal was to duplicate all the colors, cereal division president Jim Murphy admitted that some, like tricks, will look a little different as we remove colors. In the end, while the company did find some natural substitutes like radishes and turmeric to accomplish the cereal's purple and orange hues, it had to nix the green and blue tricks completely. It didn't go over well. Our tricks fans have been calling us, emailing us, and reaching out on social media asking if we would consider bringing back the original vibrant colors, said a General Mills statement. So two years after rolling out the cleaned-up tricks, GM went into reverse. Classic Tricks is on the shelf, featuring the colors and the artificial ingredients necessary to make them. Natural substitutes can't always produce the same flavors that customers are used to. Even though, says another food analyst, Customers expect it to remain the same. They still want it to taste the same, and they don't want artificial ingredients, says Maureen Trinkler. Explaining this challenge is especially acute when it comes to treats like donuts. Quote, consumers are willing to lower the bar on nutrition, but they still want the indulgent taste. That would be the tricky factor. Consumers feel like they shouldn't have to make the compromises. Unquote. In 2016, Kraft made headlines when it debuted a reformulation of its famous macaroni and cheese brands without telling anyone. This was meant to demonstrate that people were already enjoying the cleaned-up product without knowing that natural ingredients were behind the day-glow orange color that helped make the brand famous. But some fans did notice and let their ire be known. They changed the Kraft mac and cheese recipe and it tastes like garbage, tweeted one fan. I want to cry because of it. A few months later, Pillsbury took the heat. It had changed the recipe for its ready-to-bake chocolate chip cookie dough, getting rid of the preservatives, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial colors and flavors. Many consumers were satisfied with the results. Some were clearly not. Who knew that we preferred corn syrup and artificial flavors, said one tweeter. Setting aside the issue that natural ingredients don't necessarily deliver the benefits consumers assume they will. Pillsbury's new cookie dough was all natural, but the calorie count didn't change. Consumers themselves aren't always clear about the ingredient changes they demand. People who are core followers of clean eating currently represent only about 5% of primary grocery shoppers. Some evidence suggests consumers are willing to pay more for all natural ingredients, 40% per one firm's data. It's too early to tell if consumers will reward brands making these changes with increased purchases. They've been trained and now 
they have to be untrained. But wait, there's more. YouTube is actively speaking to some of the largest agencies, or has been at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, reports AdAge, in an effort to make good on a promise the company's CEO made last month regarding brand safety. The onslaught of brand safety issues plaguing the platform was highlighted most recently with popular YouTube video blogger Logan Paul, who laughed at a dead body in Japan's suicide forest. It's prompted the company to think how it handles its most premium offering, Google Preferred. Do you know this existed? Google Preferred offers marketers the most popular YouTube channels among the 18 to 34 year old demographic that advertisers like. It's been relatively immune to brand safety issues until Logan Paul in the suicide forest. Three different high-level executives who've had direct conversations with Google say the platform has about 9,000 channels on Google Preferred. It plans to apply technology from third-party partners to combat the brand safety issues. Number of preferred channels will go down. This year has been a major, major wake-up call that popularity amongst the viewing population should not be a proxy for safety, says one insider, with direct knowledge of the conversation. Some of the tech in play involves transcribing what is said in preferred videos word for word. YouTube will also be more transparent with advertisers about where ads are being shown. The technology will also monitor comments, which has become an issue for a growing number of marketers who advertise on the platform. YouTube has also floated the idea of using people, you've heard of them, to pre-screen the videos before they go live. <laughs> That's innovation, ladies and gentlemen. People will watch videos. At the end of the day, it's the agency's responsibility to tell brands where their ads are being shown, but when a campaign runs on 200,000 different channels, making sense of what those channels are about is beyond difficult says one insider. They don't want stuff to happen, but they can employ so many humans who will reliably watch every video. This problem, says the insider, will be solved by tech. Previously, marketers could protect themselves from brand safety issues by checking some 75 boxes before their campaigns go live. If a brand didn't want their ads shown by someone who uses profanity, they'd check a box. YouTube says it automatically excludes ads from showing against videos that its automated classifiers have labeled as related to tragedy, conflict, and sensitive social issues. It also puts a flag under every video on YouTube so viewers can highlight if something questionable arises. Hey, why not check a flag on every video? Get rid of the ads. I didn't say that. Who? What happened? Viacom is acquiring influencer marketing company Husay. Not Usay, not Uday, not Husay, reports AdAge, as it looks to regain its cachet with Husay among young viewers who have been increasingly turning to Snapchat and Instagram. Since, well, for the last eight years, Husay, financed by mega talent agency CAA, has worked with influencers and celebrities like Cassidy Pope and Vanessa Williams matching them with brands like McDonald's and Avino to create and distribute content. In 
October, Viacom tapped social influencer Matthew Patrick, known to his fans as Matt Pat, to consult on its social media and branded content strategy. Viacom has built its own social presence around its own tentpole events like MTV's Video Music Awards. This partnership, says Sean Moran, head of Partner Solutions at Viacom. Not partner problems, partner solutions. This partnership gives us the ability to go from spiked periods of excellence to 52 weeks of excellence, he says. With Who Say, Viacom can now quickly turn around solutions for a consumer packaged goods client looking to launch a new product. Viacom can work with Who Say on a linear campaign that gets talent involved and can be distributed across social channels. Moran also points to Who Say's shopper marketing capabilities, which help speak to consumers at the time of purchase, like on your phone. Who Say has safety parameters that don't leave marketers wondering if their creative has been seen by a human or not, or if the talent they partner with will get them in trouble. Oh, to be an influencer. Or a partner solutions vice president. Just some random thoughts that occur to me when I read the trades for you. Here on Le Show Preferred, a copyrighted feature of this program. And now, just like this, we're not number one. No, we're not. The United States has the worst overall child mortality rate compared with those of 19 other wealthy nations. Oh, well, we're not wealthy nations in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. You've heard this story before because it's been true before, and it's true again. Consistency is the hobgoblin of Haven. That's according to a study published in the journal Health Affairs. Have you had a health affair lately? Tell You want to talk about it? The study examined child mortality rates between 1961 and 2010 in the U.S. and comparable nations. Comparable? But we're except. In the OECD, a group of 35 countries founded to improve economic development and social well-being around the world. It found that mortality rates are not evenly distributed. This study should alarm everyone, said Dr. Ashish Thakrar, lead author of the study and internal medicine resident at John Hopkins. The U.S., he says, is the most dangerous of wealthy democratic countries in the world for children. Well, we're working on being not as democratic, sir. So we were surprised by how far the U.S. has fallen behind other wealthy countries, he said, across all ages and in both sexes. Getting a little behind the times there. Children have been dying more often in the U.S. than in similar countries since the 1980s. From the 1980s till now, we're not number one. But some good news in the world of microplastics. The United Kingdom has banned the manufacturing of products containing microbeads, one of the toughest bans on the harmful pieces of plastic in the world right now. The landmark step, according to The Independent, will stop manufacturers of cosmetics and personal care products from adding the tiny pieces of plastic to rinse off products such as face scrubs, toothpastes, and shower gels because it was so important to have them in those products to begin with. 
I, I know. Let's add microbeads to toothpaste. That'll make it... As microbeads are often washed down the drain, they pollute the ocean and cause serious harm to marine life. As this broadcast has reminded you again and again, the ban will now stop billions of pieces of the plastic ending up in the ocean every year. So what are the fish going to eat now? The U.K. has been at the forefront of tackling plastic pollution. The uh, British government installed or instituted a five-pence charge for plastic bags. That's viewed as a success. More than nine billion bags out of circulation as a result. The ban on microbeads likewise sees the U.K. lead the way on the global stage, the move being described as one of the world's toughest bans on the plastic. So U.S. is not number one on that either. But we'll be, we'll be, uh, we'll be, you know, coming behind. We'll be, we'll be coming around the the bend real soon. But now, in case you think the world isn't crazy enough yet. Well, this was the week of the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Lucky them. And um, so we learned a lot more about the smart world in our future, if we're not really careful. The burger chain Calib Burger this week began testing a facial recognition kiosk in its Pasadena, California branch. It can recognize customers who set up loyalty accounts. Yeah. You're loyal to us, and we recognize your face. Just like if there was a person there who knew you, except not. The ki- except it's internet-connected. The kiosk allows select select customers, not preferred, but select, to access their accounts without any passcodes or card swipes, and displays their order histories once the facial scan confirms their identity. Our goal for 2018 is to replace credit card swipes with face-based payments. Facial recognition is part of our broader strategy. That's from CEO John Miller of Caliburger. Facial recognition, according to Slate, is becoming part of the broader strategy in many industries, from fast food joints to social media companies to security systems. In 2014, Facebook announced it had developed software called DeepFace that could determine with 97.25% accuracy if two photographs feature the same face. That's about the same accuracy with which humans can identify faces. But humans have emotions and face. Tuesday of this week, the company unveiled a feature called Photo Review that informs users when their faces appear in photos, even if the uploader hasn't tagged them. Your face has been liked. About uh, half of all American adults have their photos in the FBI's facial recognition database, which the Bureau has been using since 2011 to track and identify suspects. That software had a 15% rate of inaccuracy, higher than Facebook's, and interestingly, incorrectly identified black people more often than white people. Back to um, Kathy O'Neill. Algorithms are not neutral. They learn human biases. The More on the smart world, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission this week agreed to a settlement deal with a children's electronic toy maker 
It had accused that toy maker of collecting kids' personal information and then failing to properly secure the data. The government watch, watchdog said VTech will pay $650,000 and agree to a set of privacy and security requirements that will settle charges it, that it violated the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, COPPA. <laughs> Don't tell George H.W. Bush it's called COPPA. And the FTC Act. The settlement deal ends allegations by the FTC that VTech broke the law with its operation of three games, Learning Lodge, Kid Connect, and Planet VTech, and an educational website for kids. Specifically, that the company didn't properly secure the information on millions of children and parents prior to the hack three years ago of its services and theft of customer data. The uh, Learning Lodge and Kid, Kid Connect services that were breached were said to have hosted around 2.25 million accounts that contained information on roughly 3 million kids with information like the kid's name, date of birth, and gender, as well as the parent's name, physical address, email address, and security question answers. VTech was accused of failing to properly encrypt that information. That's a violation of COPPA, don't tell George H.W. Bush, and lying to parents about the extent of data collection and level of security that it used. 650000 for that? A bargain. But there's more smart stuff. Straight ahead. Our house is a very, very, very smart house. Schlage's Sense Smart Deadbolt now works with almost any virtual assistant. The lockmaker has revealed that Schlage's Sense will support Google Assistant early this year letting it you check on your door and, of course, lock it from your Google Home or mobile apps that use the <laughs> artificial intelligence helper. You'll need the Sense Wi-Fi adapter to make this work, of course, and that'll keep it from being hacked. Oh, no. But it'll give you the choice of Alexa or Siri. Not bad when rivals offer only one or two options. The uh, $229 is the official price for the deadbolt itself, Another $69 for the Wi-Fi adapter. But all this stuff was uh, unveiled at the Consumer Electronics Show this year. Smart devices, a main focal point. Elgato showed off its updated Eve Room and Eve Button, pardon the expression, with the former designed to measure air quality and temperature in a room. The latter allowed, uh, designed to allow you to activate HomeKit scenes without a smartphone. iDevices introduced its latest smart light switch, the Instinct, built-in Amazon Alexa support. So you can ask your <laughs> you can ask your light, slit, light switch for the latest news, weather updates, and more. Because <laughs> you can't find that stuff anywhere else. In addition to Alexa support, there's also support for HomeKit for simple controls. But blah, blah, blah. Speaking of Alexa, the Alexa team, according to VentureBeat, is beginning to analyze the sound of users' voices to recognize their mood or emotional state. Alexa chief scientist Rohit Prasad revealed that to VentureBeat. Doing so could let Amazon personalize and improve customer experiences, leading to lengthier conversations with the 
artificial intelligence assistant, and even open the door to Alexa one day responding to queries based on your emotional state or scanning voice recordings to diagnose disease. And that can't be hacked because there's no reason why it can't be hacked. Tell Alexa that you're happy or sad today, and she can deliver a pre-programmed response, much like your spouse. I mean, in the future, Alexa may be able to pick up your mood without being told. And don't we really all want that? The voice analysis, it gets better. The voice analysis effort will begin by teaching Alexa to recognize when a user is frustrated. But that can't happen with tech. Detecting frustration and emotion on far-field audio is hard because there are human baselines you need to know to understand if I'm frustrated. Am I frustrated right now? You can't tell unless you know me, said Prasad. With language, you can already express, Hey, Alexa, play upbeat music. Those were able to handle from explicitly identifying the mood, but now where we want to get to is a more implicit place from your acoustic expressions of your mood, he said. Unquote, an Amazon spokesperson declined to comment on the kinds of moods or emotions Amazon may attempt to detect beyond frustration. That's kind of frustrating in itself. Um, it worked. And declined to share a timeline for when Amazon may seek to expand its deployment of sentiment analysis. Amazon's Echo devices, in case you don't know, record an audio file of every interaction after the, micro- after the microphone hears the Alexa wake word. Alexa, I'm frustrated with your existence. Turn yourself off. Each of these interactions can be used to create a baseline of your voice. To deliver personalized results, Alexa can also take into consideration things like your taste in music, zip code, or underwear size. No, they didn't say that. There's an emotion detection company in business, Affectiva. They're able to detect things like laughter, anger, Hey, Effectiva, screw you. Oh, sorry. An arousal (laughs) from the sound of a person's voice. It offers its services to several Fortune 1000 companies, as well as the makers of social robots. (laughs) Let's all hang with some social robots, everybody. And artificial intelligence assistance. Mood tracking will change the way robots and AI assistants like Alexa interact with humans. Effectiva. CEO Rana El Kaliubi told VentureBeat in a phone interview, Emotional intelligence is key to allowing devices with a voice interface to react to user responses and have a meaningful conversation. Today, for example, Alexa can tell you a joke, but she can't react based on whether you laughed at the joke. (laughs) Alexa can do stand-up at one in the morning, apparently, with that skill set. Conversational agents can persuade you to lead more productive, healthier, happy li- happier lives, said Rana El Kaliubi, CEO of Effectiva. But in my opinion, they can't, she says, they can't get there unless they have empathy. Well, why don't you teach that to humans first? We've got somebody in high office right now. And bringing it all home to your bathroom. One year after being announced during the Consumer Electronics Show last year, faucet manufacturer Moen came back this year with a new announcement for its U by Moen cloud-based Wi-Fi-enabled shower system. Yes, your shower controls.
can be on the Internet because nobody can possibly hack. The company this week revealed that the smart shower will add support for Apple's Siri and Amazon's Alexa. Amazon, make the shower of the guy next door really hot. <laughs> Letting you control water temperature and more with voice commands and connected smartphones and speakers. You'll be able to speak to your iOS devices via Siri and begin your shower ahead of time by saying, Hey Siri, start my shower. If you've saved water temperature presets with the Moen app, the shower will then begin to reach your desired temperature and notify you when it's ready. And wasting only a certain amount of water in the meantime. Anyone who purchased last year's device will have to buy the new system because Siri will only work with Moen's next generation smart shower controllers. The um, system is visually similar to the first and connects to an iPhone app, so you can set up up to 12 customized settings for a shower. As I guess for a Mormon family or an Orthodox Jewish one. The in-shower digital valve includes a 5-inch LCD screen because you got to watch TV in your shower and various buttons for manual temperature control and still requires professional installation. Please don't try this at home. It's a smart, 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 smart world and a smart house because you'll be smarting all the way to the shower. So, speaking of empathy, or the lack thereof, three phrases really boinged around the um, news universe this week, the last seven days. The first uh, from... A week ago, Saturday, when (laughs) President Trump uh, trying, he's a, as I said, I think on last week's show, he's basically a reactive kind of a guy. I mean, uh, if I didn't say it, I'm saying it now, basically under the mentorship of Roy Cohn, the lovely and talented Roy Cohn, the lovely and talented and late Roy Cohn, um, he reacts to everything. He can't, he can't help himself. He's got to react. So when Michael Wolff's book came out um, indicating a lack of um, mental acuity on the president's part, um, his first response was to issue a couple of tweets a week ago, Saturday, as I say, uh, saying that far from being um, in the early stages of dementia or any other dementia, he uh, is, in his own words, a very stable genius. A VSG, as we call it in the trade. Then, on Tuesday, I believe, to disprove the uh, dementia thing, he allowed uh, cameras to stay on and in the Oval Office while he had the the <laughs> president, I say, had a meeting with Democratic and Republican legislators over a possible compromise over the uh, Obama-era executive order delaying deportation of the so-called dreamers, people who had uh, been brought to this country, to America, illegally and had grown up here, gone to school, gotten jobs, blah, 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 the so-called DACA. And he allowed, as I say, the uh, cameras to stay on to show, oh, he knows what he's talking about with legislation, and he's he's on the top of 
within a day that was sort of um, wrecked by the revelation in the Washington Post that at another meeting the following day with more legislators on the subject of in, of immigration, the president had said the notorious S-hole phrase. Look it up. Everybody else published it. I ain't going to say it because it's public radio. Um, but lost in the welter of all that, in the, all of the controversy about the S-hole comment, African nations have asked for an apology. The United Nations has criticized the comment. But at the, in the course of that Tuesday meeting, the president said this about the piece of legislation that he desired to result from meetings with congressional leaders on the subject of immigration. This should be a bipartisan bill. This should be a bill of love. Truly, it should be a bill of love. In case you're having a problem reconciling that comment with the S-hole country's comment a day later, a little assistance. Bill of love, love, love. Bill of love, love. Started out backing Bertha's Gave me a big head of steam Took the gold escalator down to slam Mexicans That made the liberals scream I talked like a mobbed-up New Yorker But you know that's not who I am Pisses off guys like Bob Corker Who cares, he's weak as a lamb Deep down inside, I'm half empty Like if there's a hand too small for a glove I've paid some bills in my lifetime But I'm past due on the bill of love Past due on the bill of love Mark and the mysterious, but I'm not shedding 96 tears over what I said about Nigerians. That gets me the biggest cheers. I said there's AIDS in all of the Haitians, which really did great for my polls. So I ticked off the United Nations. Believe me, it's not gold in all those holes. Deep down inside, I'm a cupcake. 
from Santa Monica, this is the show. Time now for the apologies of the week. The CEO and president of the University of Maryland Medical Center has apologized to that patient who was found on the street wearing only a thin hospital gown and socks. He called the incident a failure. We take full responsibility for this failure, said Dr. Mohan Suntha during a press conference. The hospital did not provide basic humanity and compassion, he said. Suntha, the Baltimore hospital's president and CEO, said the hospital system is investigating the incident and is talking to everyone who came into contact with the woman, including guards, nurses, and doctors. The hospital was thrust into the national spotlight and social media erupted with outrage after a viral video showed security guards leaving a disoriented woman from the medical center on the street, barely dressed when the temperature was in the 30s. It's the latest hospital across the country accused of a practice known as patient dumping, in which patients who are homeless, mentally ill, or both are released to the streets. The Maryland Office of Healthcare Quality said it is investigating the incident. Embattled U.S. Ambassador to the Netherlands, Peter Hoekstra, apologized this week for making unsubstantiated anti-Muslim claims at a conference in 2015, comments that have clouded his early days in his post after reporters confronted him about them. Hoekstra, a former Republican congressman from Michigan, a recent political appointee, made the apology during an interview with De Telegraph, one of the largest Dutch newspapers, at the end of a particularly rough week. Looking back, I'm shocked I said that, he told the newspaper. It was a wrong statement. It was wrong. He made the remarks in question in 2015 during a conference on terrorism, talking about the supposed chaos brought to Europe by immigrants from Islamic countries and repeating a... Um, apparently unprovable nostrum about so-called no-go zones. Chaos in the Netherlands. There are cars being burned. There are politicians that are being burned, he said at the time. And yes, there are no-go zones in the Netherlands. All right, there are no-go zones in France, he said. Now he couldn't recall what his remark was based on. Quote, I mixed up countries. I was wrong. I can't recall how they could happen. I know I was wrong. The State Department distanced itself from Hoekstra's remarks. Thursday during a briefing in Washington, but declined to call them inaccurate. The ambassador made mistakes in 2015, said the Undersecretary of State for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs. Before Hoekstra arrived in The Hague in January, he told a Dutch, a Dutch journalist who questioned him he'd never made the statements and they were fake news. He later apologized for that. And during his first news conference with Dutch media at his new residence this week, his refusal to answer basic questions about the remarks drew a strong reaction. This is the Netherlands. You have to answer questions, one reporter said during the meeting. Thank God, this is America where you don't have... The University of Rochester professor at the center of a sexual misconduct complaint that divided a prominent department and led the university president to resign, apologize this week to his students and colleagues for the distress and disruption it's caused. In a statement, Professor T. Florian Yeager said he could have shown more maturity when he arrived as a 31-year-old faculty member 11 years ago, and over time, he has improved. Yeager's statement followed a special committee's report supporting the university's finding that he had not violated policy or law by, while calling his behavior, including intimate relationships with students, unprofessional and offensive. The university's handling of complaints against Yeager has sparked protests, call for, calls for President Joel Seligman's resignation, which, in fact, has now been announced. 
an alumni petition demanding a written apology and a letter signed by 400 faculty members at other schools saying, with, saying they would steer their students away from the University of Rochester. You know, to Harvard or someplace. NBC, MSNBC host Chris Matthews apologized this week after video footage surfaced showing him making a racy joke prior to an interview with Hillary Clinton. In the video, which was obtained and first reported by New York Magazine's The Cut, Matthews is seen interacting with various individuals on a makeshift set at an Iowa fire station. This would be during the pre-Iowa caucuses in 2016. Can I have some of the Queen's waters, precious waters? Matthews asked. Where's that Bill Cosby pill I brought with me? Matthews can be seen snickering on the video, recorded prior to an interview with Clinton, January 5, 2016. Dozens of women, as you know, have accused Bill Cosby of drugging and raping his victims. And MSNBC declined to comment. Matthews offered a mea culpa for the remark. It was a terrible comment I made in poor taste during the height of the Bill Cosby headlines. I realize that's no excuse. I deeply regret it, and I'm sorry. Aides to the former Democratic presidential candidate expressed revulsion and bewilderment over the footage. What happened? None of them was heard to ask. A symbolic move to denounce a hateful chapter in the past of London, not the city in England, the city in Canada, London, Ontario. Mayor Matt Brown apologized to the LGBTQ community 23 years after then-Mayor Diane Haskett refused to issue a gay pride proclamation. A New York City police official apologized this week to a rape victim he helped discredit almost 24 years ago. Deputy Commissioner John Miller said in a statement sent to the woman's lawyer, he was wrong to tell reporters that police doubted the woman's account of being raped in Brooklyn's Prospect Park. Police said this week they'd finally solved the crime. They matched DNA found on the victim to a serial rapist who is in prison for other attacks. But Miller, then the chief police spokesman in 1994, told reporters... Detectives believed there were inconsistencies in the woman's story. He's sorry. A couple of reckoning apologies. Mira, uh, Mira Sorvino is the latest actress to say she regrets working with Woody Allen. She was one of the first to go public with accusations against Harvey Weinstein. She says in an open letter to Darylin Farrow, she's terribly sorry for working with Allen. Farrow is Allen's adopted daughter with Mia Farrow and has accused him of molesting her as a child and slammed Hollywood insiders for looking the other way. Sorvino wrote to Farrow, quote, I apologize for this being the first time I address you in print. What will be the first of several apologies today I'm writing to express my belief and support of you. I swallowed the media's portrayal of your abuse allegations against your father as an outgrowth of a twisted custody battle between Mia Farrow and him and did not look further into the situation, for which I am terribly sorry. She also apologized to Mia Farrow for not initially believing the allegations that Alan molested Dylan. And Washington Post reporter Joel Achenbach has been placed on 90-day suspension. He says, quote, I'm very sorry to say I behaved badly and have been suspended by the Post for inappropriate workplace conduct. I've said and done things that were unprofessional, and I apologize to the women affected by this and acknowledge their courage in speaking out. Quote, the apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this preferred broadcast. Oh, 
Oh, a couple more apologies. The clothing retailer H&M apologized this week for an image appearing in its online store that showed a black child model wearing a hooded sweatshirt that said, Coolest monkey in the jungle. The company removed the image on Monday and said it would also pull the shirt from its stores, shirt from its stores worldwide. The image was widely criticized online for its reference to a monkey, an animal that has long featured in ethnic and racial slurs. The weekend Canadian pop star of Ethiopian descent was one of those who criticized the clothing giant, writing on Twitter he would decline to work with the company in the future. What about the past? And Communications Minister of Israel Ayub Kara apologized this week after appearing to suggest the death penalty for journalists who report fake news. I realize Twitter Nation is up in arms, but you can calm down. I love the media. And if it wasn't understood if I wasn't understood properly, I apologize. He tweeted. What can I do? He said. He's a member of Israel's Arabic-speaking Druze minority. My native tongue is Arabic. Sometimes I need to quickly choose my words in Hebrew and sometimes make mistakes, he said. Reminding you, he's the communications minister. That's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Next week at the same time on these audio devices of choice. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson for help with today's broadcast. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless. Thank you.